Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am back again. Welcome to the second episode of the Visions and Tones podcast. And I'm excited today. You know, I'm not coming to you alone. I've got a very good friend of mine who will help me today so that we can, you know, get through the day. And the person who's joining us today is actually a very good friend of mine. One of the greatest people that when I left South Africa and, you know, just came to Australia for a little while, she actually helped me settle in, you know, made me comfortable with some of my friends and, you know, we sort of remained good friends. So yes, you can say there is sort of a soft spot that I have for her, but uh, trust me for today's conversation, it might not be just about soft spot because we're going to crack things out and whatnot. She's a very incredible person. Married to a very cool guy, Danny McKeven, and they've got two incredible kids. You know, incredible, not because I'm just trying to make her feel excited about this, but because, you know, over time I've seen the kids, you know, you know, changing in their behavior, you know, how they interact with people. There's actually growth that you can see if you're very close with Danny and, 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 and Shana. And Shana is here today. She's actually a very great person. She runs her own uh, company called Shana McKeven Editing, which she'll tell us briefly about it. It's been going for almost about eight years. And I actually had the privilege to read two of the books that Shana actually edited. One was by Dr. Elsa Likumba, which speaks about the freedom to belong. Um, and the other one was Dr. Um, Shirazina's book. So she's actually been working with doctors and doctors. Maybe she'll work on mine one day. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Shana McKeven. Hello. Hey, Shana. How are you? Thanks for having me. Um, I am excited about today and nervous, to be honest, because I know that our conversations can get real deep to a bunch of stuff, but um, I think it's going to be awesome. Which that is good, right? And I'm honored. In all truth, I am really honored that you asked me and I think it's very special. And the stuff that you just said about me, I'm... Thank you so much. That's amazing. Danny and I, we really love you for real. Thank you. And I love what you're doing. I love the stuff that you do. I love the stuff that you talk about. And I hope that you always know how much we support you in it and kind of cheer you on. So thank you for having me. That really means a lot. I'm glad because after here, I'm also going to eat your food and finish all your food <laughs> and then leave you guys, you know, broke with Danny. <laughs> Just oh, kidding. Um, Shana, yes. you know, yeah, we're in Australia and people in Australia keeps on talking about a different accent and whatnot. Mm. And I'm picking up something about you. This is very, something very fruity or colorful <laughs> about your accent. If you can just tell us a bit about your accent. Yes. So originally I am South African, born in South Africa, lived there until I was 10, um, to English speaking South Africans. My parents are originally Zimbabwean, I suppose we'll say. And then at 10 years old, I left South Africa, moved to Ireland and the UK, lived there, did the rest of my schooling, did my uni there, and then moved to Australia. So I've been in Australia for over 14 years now and married to a Scotsman. So there's another accent that we chuck in there. <laughs> So there's lots of accents going around and often people are very confused when they speak to me, like, where are you from? But right. sometimes, sometimes, especially with strangers, which I love, sometimes someone will ask me, are you from South Africa? And then I literally want to be their best friend because I'm like, this, it's there somewhere, way, way, way back. How can they pick up that you're from South Africa? I don't know, but it does actually happen. I often get Canadian or New Zealand 
but um, yeah, it's a very confused accent. But I'm Australian now. So. I, I definitely wouldn't pick it up. I mean, even on the first day I met you, mm. I couldn't pick up from your accent. But I was like, there's something about this woman that I like. I wonder what it is. And then later on, I discovered that, oh, actually, South African here. Oh, there's yeah. a connection somewhere along the line. That's really great. Mm. So thanks for joining me today. And um, like I said, you know, I've got a plan just for today's episode. And mm. I've got a number of questions for you, which we're going to talk more about family. But the thing is, it's almost like a game. I'm going to ask you questions about yay or nay to this. And then we sort of, you know, break through from there. And we may not really have enough time to go through everything in details. Mm-hmm. And in this very short space of time. So just feel free to give it a go and let's see where we can end. Let's go. Let's do it. Are you ready? <laughs> let's do it. Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. First question. Okay. Yay or nay to you and Danny giving me all your salary at the uh, end of this month? <laughs> uh, definitely nay because then I would have no house. So no. Number one. Oh. Next question. <laughs> if I could though, actually, I know that we're joking, but in all honesty, if we could, my husband is one of the most generous people in the world. So if he could, he would totally do that. He would just give it everything away. But unfortunately, you know, bills. Sadly, I cannot ride a bike. Out of test that it was generous and after the You could the learn, though. You could learn for sure. I don't think of If I can learn, you can learn. Right. Maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> so, first question. Yes. Let's talk about discipline. Yay or nay to disciplining kids today? So, it's a, this is a big question. And I think, um, in the society we live in, especially in Australia, it can be a very controversial question. I'm not sure it needs to be a controversial question, but it, it tends to be. My heritage, obviously, growing up in South Africa, the way things were done there is very, very different to what's accepted now. And to a certain degree, I don't feel like we need to chuck all of that out. I don't feel like we need to throw away everything that happened to us as kids and everything that the way that our parents um, disciplined us. Discipline was very much a big deal in our house and in everybody's house that I knew of, especially people who um, follow the Christian faith. That was very much a big thing for us growing up. But um, the way that we do it at home, I have two kids One's eight and one's 10. They are extremely different. My 10 year old daughter, she's extremely compliant and is easy, (laughs) like easy, just will do the right thing somehow. My son, who's eight is very, very different. He's, he can often be seen as defiant. He can often be seen as just doing the wrong thing just because he knows that it's going to rev me up. But I've learned in the last year, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second why, but I've learned in the last year that that is actually not the truth. The truth is not that he is trying to just annoy me. He's just different. He His brain functions differently. And so when it comes to discipline, what I've learned is that actually it's less about discipline and so much more about respect. Right. Is that going to be a problem with my dog barking? Not really. Well, the dog is adding into the sound. The dog is barking at Sam. <laughs> Sam is busy playing with the dog. Anyways. Um, yeah, so... I like the fact that you're talking about, you know, South Africa and bringing and at the same time, you know, South Africa being a very colorful country, you know, having the blacks, the whites, the colors and the Indians. And I'm thinking if 
if you can just share with us what's your version of you know or maybe difference between discipline and punishment because mm. i think in some of the cultures or societies there's still some sort of things which many people today can consider as punishment or abuse than just discipline and i think that that's true not just of a country like south africa i think there's many many countries in the world where um treatment of children is much more about making the child do what you want to fit into your life and less about who that person is. And so I'm not sure what the situation is in South Africa at the moment, not having lived there in a very long time. But my own experience has been that when your child is born, they are born a person. Mm. And often this, when it comes to discipline, we forget this. They are born a person in, in an entirety, like everything that they have, they are born with. And if we can just get to this idea of that to discipline them is to train them, to teach them rather than to make them do or be what you want, then it changes the whole way that you deal with it. So I mentioned earlier about respect and respecting my children as people, not just as my kids to make them do what I want, but to respect them as people and go, Hey, they actually have a voice. They have feelings, they have emotions, they have questions. And sometimes when what I would see as misbehavior is actually them in a way kind of trying to assert who they are as people. And obviously there are consequences to actions. Everybody has to learn that. Like as adults, there are consequences to our actions. We can't just go around doing whatever we like. So to train your children that you can't go around and do whatever you like and that there are consequences and you do have to pay for your mistakes. Mm doesn't mean that you have to punish them so hard that as their personality and who they are and their own autonomous thoughts and feelings are squashed or changed or made into what you want. So I, I'm a very strong-willed person and I really want my children to behave. Like there is no way that my kids rule this house. Absolutely not. But in doing the training of them, I need them to understand the why. I need to, them to be able to make the, the right decisions and not just obey out of fear right. that I'm going to punish them because that's not obedience. It, obedience because you're afraid is not – That's I, there's a different word for that. and It's not the same thing. So what I want is to teach my kids to make the right decisions because they have a value system and they understand morals and they understand right from wrong, and that becomes much more about discipleship than it becomes about discipline. Right. And that has become a massive focus in our home. It's, I need to check every word that I say. I can't be, I think we as parents are constantly teaching our kids, not just by what we say, but by who we are. I need to be modeling the type of people that I want them to be because they're learning all the time and they're watching me all the time. And Danny, they watch us all the time. And I can't tell, you know, that old saying, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, it just doesn't stand. It, doesn't, it has no foundation whatsoever. And it's so damaging. And so when it comes to disciplining my kids, I'm so much more about, I need to teach you how to make the right decision because I'm not going to be there always. Make the right decision when I'm not there. And I need to show you what that is. And I need to show you how to do that rather than your behavior. I don't like because it doesn't fit into my box of what good behavior is. Mm. And so I will punish it. And that to me, that's just not helpful. Um, so traditional methods of punishment tend to not work in my home. If you can, I like the fact that you spoke about discipline some way. How, how important, uh, disciple, did you say that? Mm, disciple, disciple. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, how important is it for parents to think about the concept discipling when they're actually disciplining their kids? How, how important would you say that is? And how has it played out in terms of your relationship with your, with your kids? 
Uh, for me, I think it's essential. I think the idea of discipleship is essential in the concept of discipline. Because the purpose of discipline is you're wanting to raise really strong, healthy adults, right? That's why you discipline your kids. If you're, if you're disciplining your children for any other reason than just that you want to create a whole person, then it's about you and it's not about them. If it's, if you really, really, truly respect and honor the purpose that is on your child's life, the calling that's on your child's life, the things that they're going to achieve in their life, when you're no longer around, if you really respect and honor that, then how you treat them today will be the, the, I suppose the example and the standard by which they treat themselves and the standard by which they allow other people to treat them. So if I'm going around punishing and being hardline on my children, and of course this is a, this is a continuous learning curve for me and Danny. Like it's a continuous thing. I'm not saying in any way that we've got this, Mm -hmm. that we know what we're doing, but in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking if is my response to their behavior and my reaction and my punishment or discipline or discipleship of them in this moment, is this helping them know how valued they are so that one day when other people are treating them in a certain way, will they know what is right and wrong? Mm-hmm. Will they know what is valued and what is important and what for us, because we're a Christian home, for us, what is godly? Will they know the difference between that or will they just have a whole bunch of rules and regulations without any kind of reasoning or foundation for them? Right. So this is an extension of discipling. Um, I was thinking about, you know, the concept self-control. Would you say as part of your parenting, it's also an aspect of teaching your kids self-control? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And myself as well, always, because nobody can push your buttons like your children. Like you've never been angry until you have kids. Like you've never been embarrassed until yeah. you ha- have had kids because they don't yet have filters. And so they will push your buttons. So yes, it is a lesson in self-control for myself and to teach my kids, but it's all the fruit of the spirit. Like it's all of those things. Going back to a second ago when I said, you know, is my response to their behavior going to teach them value or teach them rules and regulations. It goes back to that is my response to their behavior, teaching them what love, joy, peace, patience looks like. Mm. And being able to admit when you're wrong, I think is so, so important as well. Like going to my children and saying, I'm so sorry that I reacted in that way. That was totally out of line. I made a mistake. I was mean. I was hurtful. And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Teaching them that. Like being able to do that for your children teaches them that sometimes adults make mistakes and that's okay. And that, that failure and mistakes are about learning and about developing relationship and not about being wrong as a person. Maybe as a last question for this segment, Mm. um, how would you sort of encourage, you know, parents who are sort of stuck with the thought that they had a very hectic upbringing, because I'm thinking, and, and really, I don't know much about your upbringing, Danny, and I cannot sort of make conclusions that maybe mm. it was good or it was bad in a way. But I feel like sometimes if people have been raised in a very, you know, dysfunctional family, if they do not actually deal with that thing, they tend to transfer it into their children. And then you find that this thing becomes sort of a family stronghold. And if you can just, uh, um, you know, speak through to parents who maybe struggle because they haven't really dealt with their upbringing and now they're sort of trying to love their kids, but their love is not coming out naturally. Um, um, so irrespective of maybe their religious affiliation, how would you, how would you advise such a parent? 
or parents? Well, first I want to say that my upbringing was functional, amazing. Um, live, my parents are still married and still very much in love. And we were brought up in a home where love was very openly and honestly displayed to us. So that is amazing. So a lot of what I've learned has come from my family and growing up. But as each generation goes, each generation learns from the previous one and changes things. And they and that's expected because you develop and you grow and each generation learns and builds on what the previous generation has done. Unfortunately, what you're talking about is that the negative is also true. And so for some people who have not grown up in a family like I did, who did have dysfunction, who did have absent parents, they struggle with how to deal with their kids. And I always have such high respect and such honor for parents who are able to parent their children well when they didn't have a a model that was good. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an incredible thing. And I think it's happening a lot. And the incredible thing for us nowadays is that you actually have so much access to so much information and so much help. And I think one of the things that is so important as parents of any, of any family from any background is having that ability to have people that can speak into your life and not to keep things secret. I think secrets in families is so, so damaging, like so damaging um, when it comes to, you know, how you parent or how your kids are at home or the stresses to have people in your life that can just, that you can be open and honest with, that you can be vulnerable with, whether they are people that are close to you or professionals. Like, absolutely. I'm 100% for, like 100% for get professional help if you can. Mm -hmm. And I think in Australia, especially, and I'm not sure about other places, but in Australia, especially, just you can go to your GP about anything. Your general practitioner, go to them and you can literally go to your GP and say, hey, I'm really struggling with my parenting. I don't know how to do this. And the capacity that we have here living in Australia to have help is huge. And I, I would suggest if you are struggling with it, don't be quiet. Right. Don't be silent about it because often the biggest issues are when we don't speak up and we don't say, hey, I'm just struggling. I don't know how to do this. Can somebody help me? regardless of, of what, you know, background you have or what type of life that you're living or where you're living in Australia, especially here, just put your hand up. I need help. And there are places that you can get help. So I would say, yeah. Great stuff. I love the fact that you're sort of raising the idea that there's a responsibility also that parents actually have to, you know, play mm. on their children. And this brings me to our next segment which I'd love to speak about, you know, understanding children's rights. So the responsibility that parents have also mm. having to do with the fact that the mom has to understand the child has a right to know the father and be close to the father, especially in a case where the parents want to be involved. Um, um, I'm not sure if we, we can be able to extend that even in a case where parents don't want to be involved. But my next question for you on this next segment is, um, Maybe let me just put it in a, in a, in a spin. Yay or nay to dads being denied the right to access or right of access to their children? So this is a topic that is really close to my heart, not because I have personal experience of it, but because as I watch other families and watch other parents deal with things. Um, I always seem to kind of carry the weight of stuff that I see other people. And when I was growing up in Ireland, I actually went to university in, in Dublin. I, I did law at uni and 
we've chatted about this before, but my dissertation, my final thesis was about unmarried father's rights. And at the time, it's 2005, so it's back in the dark ages. So many, many things have changed between now (laughs) and then. Lots of things have changed. But at the time, I was so distressed by the way that unmarried fathers in particular were dealt with by the law. And so my whole thesis was on how do we... How can we come to a place where men, fathers, are given access and given rights to their kids, especially if they want it? And that, I think, is a is a crucial part of this whole conversation, is mm. if you have two parents that desperately want to be a part of their children's lives, we cannot deny that. Now, I need to put a thing on it and just say, hey, I'm not talking about if there's any kind of abuse or any kind of major negativity, definitely not if there's criminal activity going on. So I need to say that right up front, if there's criminal acts going on, if, if your children have been born because of a criminal act in particular, under no circumstances, do I think that that, that this should be the case, but I'm talking generally speaking, a father who wants access to his kids should be given that access. And unfortunately in many places in the world, that is just so, so difficult. So in Australia today, the law says that both parents have access, that both parents and can um, be involved in their children, except the pressure and the responsibilities and the onus is always on the father to prove that he wants that, whereas the mother does not have to prove in any way that she wants access. She automatically gets it. Okay, so this is my issue. The issue that I have with this is that why, what, what's the difference? And should there be a difference? And there's this age old understanding that mothers are better parents than fathers. And I have a problem with that. I think you can't have a blanket rule on everything to do with parenting that says moms are better at it than dads because I just don't think that's true anymore. I think maybe in previous lives that it has been true because, you know, in previous times the father was at work all day, was very, very seldom with the kids, had no um, direct day-to-day care of the kids, you know, didn't do any of the school stuff, wasn't on the PTA, wasn't involved in sport, didn't do any of that because he's at work. Mm-hmm. And he, that was his role. His role was 100%, I need to go to work and I'm going to be at work all day and I'll get home five minutes before kids go to sleep and I'll say goodnight and that's it. It's just not true anymore. It's not true at all because so many women now are in the workforce and we we fought for that. Women have fought for the the right to be treated as equal and yet there's still an, an inequality that's happening in that women straight away are given all the responsibility of parenting. Right. Without like that's it's an automatic thing. The the mom is responsible for the child. The father has to prove that he wants to be. That is that is not right for either parent. In, the in, weight is is yeah. for both of them. Just the way you actually said it, you just made me think on how, as much as it may sound like it punishes the men by having to prove, it also has a bit of a patriarchal thing in it because you're sort of saying women are just good people who should be doing this kind of a job. Yeah, and that's definitely true. And I think it it kind of, um, in some cases, releases the father from responsibility. And I don't think that that's helpful either because that's almost a societal and legal um, situation that is perpetuating the idea that men can't parent. Mm. And for a lot of men to go and fight for rights to their children, for one, it's an exceptionally expensive thing to do. 
Like people just don't have that kind of money lying around that will allow them to go to court and fight for their children. So often what happens is that they give up, the fathers give up, which then allows a lot of moms to go, oh, I told you so. I knew that he wasn't going to fight for this. And so often the dads just don't even bother because it's so incredibly hard in the legal system to gain access or to gain custody of your kids, to gain guardianship of your children. Um, it's not an easy thing to do for the fathers. Plus, usually it's because there's a divorce that's mm. also involved. And now suddenly there's all of the financial things that come with a divorce that often, not always, but often weigh heavier on the dad than on the mom. Like often he's already lost the house. The house has gone to mom. And now also he has to prove that he's a father. Like to me, I just think uh, if we're going to just look at this from an equality perspective, it's just not equal and it's not equal for either. And so for moms who are just going, I can't do this. I need help. They, they have to do it. And for fathers it's saying, I desperately want to be part of my kids' lives. It's just, it's just so much for them. And there's another aspect to it. A lot of times the mom will make accusations against the father and she doesn't have to prove any accusation. Right. She can just make it. And he has to prove that she's wrong. And often men are losing jobs and they're losing finances and they're losing their respect in, in their, in their worlds. They're losing so much. Even if they are then proven to be innocent, the damage is done and there's no reprimand for her. And that to me just seems, I don't know, incredibly archaic. <laughs> Firstly, like it's incredibly old fashioned. Like, are we still living in this kind of society? Right. Even though the law says that, yes, he has absolute access. It just seems that it's harder. And I think this fatherless generation that is growing up, um, has so many repercussions, so many things that are going to forever be affected for generations because dads are just not at home. So yeah. how would you, how would you sort of see punishment, um, I don't know if I should even use the word punishment for this case, especially for moms who sort of get to lie about stuff and what should be done. I don't know. I like, I have not me personally, but I have experience of someone close to me who was accused of um, some sort of negative actions towards a child that was absolutely a hundred percent, hundred percent not true and a hundred percent unfounded. But the response, the reaction, and the repercussions continue right. years later, even though there was no grounds at all. And it was just a silly child making a silly thing because she was desperately trying to get attention from her own father. And so that is, it's just so damaging. And I think we need to address it. But I honestly, I don't know how to address it. I don't know how to address this whole idea of accusations against a person and how that person mm. then carries it. And then on the flip side, we have people that are actually doing these things yeah. that are actually engaging in this kind of behavior that is so detestable. And yet they're not being punished to the extent that I believe that they should. Like mm. I'm extreme. I'm like, uh, if you're going to have any kind of you know, sexual crimes especially, I'm like, mate, you know, the full extent of the law. Let's go to the full extent of the law against you. But it, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. And often in those cases, it's up to the victim to prove as well, which I just think is so ridiculous. So the whole idea, all of this is just messed up. It just, there's, the balance is just not, in my opinion, not sitting where it should. Apart from looking at the legalities of mm. things and what the law says, I want I want us to speak about 
you know, parents and, and I, I hope this doesn't come out as if it's an attack to moms, mm. but I think it's because like you said earlier on this sort of the law tends to be on their side um, quite a lot. So apart from thinking of about the legalities, what would you say moms are missing, especially moms who sort of refuse those who are not married, but do not want to tell the kids who the father is simply because of whatever conflicts that are there as a form of punishment to the father. But at the same time, the punishment now has to be endured by the kids. So what, what can you say? What is it that they're missing, especially about the child's upbringing? I think one of the hardest things is that um, the view of men as a general thing. Okay what most women view men as is so damaging. And I think it's come out of the feminist movement. It's come out of this, this understanding that a man is a bit of a dropkick and can't be, you know, held responsible for things and is going to let you down and is never there. And so there's this, this idea that's been perpetuated by the media and by even TV, like programs my kids like the show and tv i'm not going to name it but Mm. it's super funny it's hilarious but the dad is always the idiot like always in every one of these programs these comedy things that are made for young people the dad is always dumb and always makes stupid mistakes and the mom is always like trying to you know fix his mistakes basically and it's hilarious and we all laugh but this is being perpetuated all the time and so there's this idea that you can't trust men and that they're not going to be there and they're not going to be responsible and they're not going to carry their weight and they will let you down and they're actually even the saying boys will be boys i absolutely hate that because it's somehow is twofold it somehow um takes away the responsibility of a boy to behave appropriately Mm-hmm. And says that, you know, oh, well, he's just a boy, you know, you can't expect anything more. So it does that. But then at the same time, it's, it's speaking that over a child. And usually it's, it's with young kids. Boys will be boys, you know, or he's, he's just not being very kind or he's, you know, fighting or whatever it happens to be. And even when you're going into teenagers and young adults, boys will be boys usually is talking about boys just sleeping around or not, you know, treating women well. And, it's almost like, oh, we just excuse them from that, but it's also speaking that over them. And I think that that's what's happened is we have created um, a situation where women especially are speaking negatively over the men. And so there's no expectation whatsoever that the men are ever going to be available and ever going to be there. There's already an established view that men are not going to be helpful, that they're not going to be in any way a solid functioning person in your life. So don't have any expectations of them whatsoever. And that is spoken out in homes and that is spoken out over kids. And these poor kids now have no access to their fathers and they are believing that men can't be trusted. Right. And I think sometimes what even happens is that the father is trying so hard to be involved in the kid's life, but the mom is just saying, nah, because she can't deal with him. The kids have no right. Now I do have friends who are single parents who have done this so incredibly well, they, a girlfriend of mine, she has, she's a single parent. The father of her child still has such incredible access to her kid. And it's hard for her. I won't like, I'm not going to say it's not hard. It is hard for her to let her child go off with dad. 
it's hard for her personally, but she recognizes the need that her child has and actually the right that her child has mm. to access to her father. Like it's important because that kid needs to know what a healthy relationship with dad is. Every kid needs to know what a healthy relationship with dad is. And so I think it's more than just a mom saying no. It, it's a society thing. It's a cultural thing that men are dropkicks. And that, that in itself has to be addressed. We need to be teaching our children that that is not true. And that if we really, really, truly are talking about equality and we're talking about um, well-functioning society, we need to be championing each other because it's all about championing each other. It's absolutely not about I'm better than you. I love that. And I'm hearing you very clearly. You can confirm. You're not necessarily saying there aren't, it's not like there's no men out there who are, for lack of a better word, excuse the French, dumb <laughs> or whatnot. But you're actually saying that this normalization that, mm. you know, idiosity or dropping the ball is inherently a man thing that's actually very problematic. So that's what I'm actually getting. Yes, absolutely. I think it's very problematic and it's rampant. Mm. It's social media and the news. And, you know, this is an expectation that, a man just can't deal he, and he can't be father and he can't look after his kids. And, you know, there's even in the courts, there's this idea that all, you know, why don't, don't show any kind of emotion or, or outbursts of love towards your kids because it's weakness. And that's mm. rubbish. Like that is absolutely rubbish. And we need to change that perspective of, of who men are and how nurturing that they actually are and start championing that and start speaking that out. And like for my kids, I have a boy and a girl in our home and a kind of jumping topic here, but it's, it's relevant in our home. We don't have gender roles in our home right. at all. So my, both my kids learn to cook. They both love it. Actually, my son loves it even more. Um, even in our house, Danny is a much better cook than I, I am. Seen your husband. Oh, he's um, much better at it. The other day and he was like, the big chef. And I was yeah. Like, oh, there we go. <laughs> he really loves it. And for him, it's kind of a bit of a, a you know, like a emotional attachment kind of thing with the kitchen. But there's no, you know, if Georgia, my daughter, wanted to learn how to fix an engine, there's no way I would be like, oh, really? Do you really want to do that? You know, like, it's just not a thing. I don't believe that there are gender roles. I believe it's very specific to your family and who is interested in what. Like, what do you want to do? You can do that. I don't care what it is. You know, if you want to learn how to, like Caleb, my son, he's just very, very nurturing, especially with little, little kids. Like he's really, really kind and nurturing to them much more than my daughter would ever be. You know, he's more mothering, if that's what we're going to call it, than she ever is. And even for us, like Danny is, has always been a huge nurturer in our family. That is his personality. He's very pastoral and he's, he really connects with people on a much deeper level than what I do and I've had to learn how to do it whereas it's very very natural so um I think I don't even know like where we've jumped in this conversation look I love it you you spoke sociology <laughs> in its purest oh, form wow. there's a there's didn't a, even know there's a great scholar in Australia uh Rywin Cornell actually no I think it might be Judith Butler um who's writing actually problematizing um gender normativity Actually, I wanted to close with a very controversial thing. So just to, to, to let our listeners know how crazy we can go. Just as a kick out, yay or nay to 
remaining single in church. Just controversial <laughs> for two minutes. <laughs> okay, very very quickly in church specifically. Right. Okay. Um, I believe that this is me. I'm a married woman. Okay, but this is my point of view. You are not broken if you're single. You don't need fixing if you're single. You're not half a person if you're single. You're not without if you're single. And I think the church as a whole has taught that you need to be married. You do not need to be. That is my perspective because you are a person and you're a whole person. Okay, that I think is one of the biggest issues that church has um, forced upon us is that the constant focus is always on as a single person, you need to find your life partner. And I just don't think it's true. I don't think being married is going to help you fulfill your in life. I think it's okay to not be married and excel at life in the same way as it's okay to be married and excel at life. Uh, I think there's blessing and there's hardship in both. They're just different. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me leave you with that just as a teaser of What's going to happen when I meet up with this lady in the next few months? Because we're definitely going to nail it. I loved her response, but she has to tell us then that if I'm single, how then can I watch over my passion? You know, mm. Paul speaks about when your body is burning in passion. So we'll hear about this, you know, um, next time but Shana really thank you so much for making this time and for your insights your wisdom I Very really well. really appreciate it and for having us here in your lovely home I really appreciate it <laughs> and that is the end of episode number two looking forward to see you next time because we're talking about mental health have a good one <laughs> <laughs>